I didn't have the wireless mic that went over the ear, so I told Jake we would just roll with this one. I try to be flexible, right? We'll be reading this evening from uh, Matthew chapter 7, in verses 12 through 14. If you guys will go ahead and turn there. We're taking a look this evening uh, at the golden rule, and I think as we um, were distributing uh, sermon text and looking at text that we might be preaching as we were kind of putting together this Sunday night series, I immediately was drawn to the golden rule because I was like, I preach that sermon probably two times a week in my own home, right? I, I, I say that all the time. I was talking to Katie on the way tonight. I'm like, how often do we actually go through that? She's like, every time we're in trouble. And I'm like, well, that's true. Every time we get in trouble, we, we generally come back to a discussion about the golden rule. So the golden rule is something that I, I think is very easy for us to understand, very easy for us to explain to our children, um, and as we have those discussions in, in our home, uh, many times it, it may sound a little something like this. There's some sort of screaming or commotion going on somewhere, other part of the house, and, and you come in there and you're like, hey, what's going on? And then you get the, well, he, sh- he said this, or she said this, or he, he did this, <clears throat> or they did this to me. And, and if, if you kind of cut through all of the, you know, the things that might be offered up as the root of the disagreement, there seems to be a common theme that sort of begins to develop. And as sweet as my kids are, they don't always treat each other the way that they should. Uh, they're, they're going to have their own selfish wants and desires, and those selfish wants and desires very often are at odds with the other five's selfish wants and desires. And arguments don't necessarily multiply, because if you, you have two, they can find ways to argue as much as probably my six do. But uh, those selfish wants and desires are put at odds, and then as they're put at odds Obviously, they're going to have their desires placed above the others, and then we have squabbling, we have fighting, we have screaming, and we have mom and dad being yelled. Some may be quick to dismiss that as saying, hey, it's just kids. It's just kids. But I'm going to argue that this sort of behavior is the exact sort of behavior that we see manifested by adults, except for in many times it's, it's multiplied, right? Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever been out driving. Uh, if, if you've ever experienced those people who have a want or desire to be in your lane, uh, they are not going to put you and the love for their neighbor, their driver, above their want or desire to exit without signaling uh, when they were in the third lane, right? Uh, they're going to just do it. And if you, if you need any more specific examples for this, I would encourage you just to tune into cops or maybe your local news. Uh, we have personal desires, sinful desires, and those sinful desires many times are manifested in out-of-control ways against other people. Now, in my home, we could say, well, let's devise a set of rules. Let's let's say we're going to have some rules and we're going to start laying down rules. And just like we have in, in Scripture in the Garden of Eden, they had a rule. Don't eat of that tree. Okay, well, we know how well they did with that. Right, and then later on, we they have they have ten rules, right? They have ten rules, and then suddenly, by the time we get to Jesus speaking here, there's about six hundred and thirteen rules, and the rules have multiplied. But what's happened is that the rules continue to be forgotten or frequently transgressed, and Jesus brings the conversation back around to how do we address 
all of that basically in a single sentence. And Jesus is going to do that for us tonight as we look at the golden rule. So if you'll look in Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 through 14, I'll read for us. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. We'll begin by taking a look at verse 12 specifically, which is the golden rule text. <clears throat> and then I'll show you how I see how that applies to that second section where it talks about the narrow gate and the, the, the wide gate. To give a little bit of additional context to what Jesus is speaking to, as he's speaking in the Sermon on the Mount here, he has mentioned many things as he has gone through Scripture. And obviously he's making reference when he talks about uh, the law and the prophets. When you see that in Scripture and it's capitalized law and the prophets, that's actually a reference to the entirety of the writings of the Old Testament. So he's making a reference to all of that. However, he did <clears throat> in uh, the beginning of uh, his Sermon on the Mount address some things specifically. Uh, you don't have to flip to all these, but I'm just going to call these out uh, and step through them uh, briefly. And, and one thing I also want to mention is that uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and this is sort of Matt McBroom's cute little title for it, I think of it as the Beatitudes and the But I Tell You's. So if you, you get the Beatitudes first, and then you get this series of But I Tell You, because he's addressing things that are misconceptions that people have or, or misapplications of law. So in chapter 5 in Matthew, 21 through 22, he's talk, he talks about anger. And he says, you have heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you to avoid anger and hatred. Meaning that if we're even thinking angrily or we're, anger, or we're, we're angered with people, that that's basically the same thing as us murdering. And it's not that Christ is changing the law. He is rightly ap applying the law. So he did not come to abolish it or to do away with. He came to fulfill it. And what he's doing in these but I tell you statements is he is correcting religious leaders' teachings or understandings that the people have. Chapter 5, 27 through 28, he says, it's on lust. He says, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you not even to look at a woman lustfully. Chapter 5, 31, 32, divorce. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce but I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Chapter 5, 33-37 on oaths. You've heard it said, do not break your oaths made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all. Chapter 5, 38-39 on retaliation. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but I tell you to turn the other cheek. And lastly, on loving in chapter five, verse 43, you have heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So as we get to our, our scripture this evening where, where Jesus is saying, <clears throat> so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. He's actually looking back at all these but I tell you statements and the other things that he addressed in the Sermon on the Mount and the entirety of Old Testament. 
this is kind of uh, a big beginning of the end as far as the Sermon on, on the Mount is concerned, as he begins to sum up and provide some, some exhortations as, as he closes. And the things that I want us to see tonight as we're, we're looking through uh, the scripture together is that, number one, Christ is the fulfillment of the law, and that he fulfills the law in perfect obedience. Back at the beginning of chapter five, as we've kind of done that step back through what Christ was talking about in verses 17 through 20, Christ actually speaks and says this himself. It says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What an amazing thought for people who are standing listening to Jesus speak. In their day, in their time, the religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees were the religious elite. They were the most holy people in the church. They were people that everyone looked up to. They, they knew the law. They knew how to keep the law. They knew all the rites and rituals and all of that. They were the people who were the leaders. And yet Jesus is telling them, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You can imagine how many people might think, then how could we possibly enter the kingdom of heaven? There's no way that I will ever be able to live the law as perfectly as this guy does. But Jesus knew the hearts of the religious leaders. He knew the hearts of the scribes and Pharisees. And that's why he's addressing these issues with them specifically. And he's also calling the attention to the people that it's not just about all of those laws. It is about him and his fulfillment of the law and his obedience to all of the laws that doesn't do away with the law, it fulfills it. And once the law is fulfilled, we're left with love. My kids, I'm sure, don't think that I'm very loving when I lay down a bunch of laws in my house. I know many of us don't think that our government is very loving towards us because they've laid down so many laws and we feel like, how, you know, how are we supposed to do this? How are we supposed to do that? The difference between those things is I, I, I am doing things in my house. I have certain rules because I love my children. I'm laying down the, the, the laws or the, the rules for the house because I love my children and I wanna see them be healthy and I wanna see them be successful. God was, was giving laws as a guardian to the people to guard them in the period of time before Christ came. But that guardian has come, has, has, is gone because Christ has come. And in fulfilling that law, he has taken the role of the priests, he's taken that role of the religious leaders who could not ever fulfill the living of that law perfectly. Christ did that. He fulfilled that, that role of prophet. Uh, Josh was talking this morning, uh, again, giving the distinction between a prophet and, and a priest. Jesus fulfills both of those perfectly in himself. Hebrews 4, 14 through 15 talks about Jesus, the great high priest, and it says, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. 
For we do not have a priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet is without sin. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. He was tempted directly by Satan. If you guys remember, right after his baptism, he was taken out into the wilderness and he fasted and prayed and he was tempted, tempted by Satan. He knows what it's like to be tempted. I, I sometimes wonder if he's work, when he was working in, you know, the, in the workshop with, with Joseph, if he ever struck his thumb with a hammer. You know, I mean... We know he didn't, he, he wouldn't have done anything wrong, but I, I just think that's, that's a, it's a funny thought maybe to see Jesus in a role, in a situation, an everyday situation like us, where he could have been tempted to sin, but we know that he didn't. And because he didn't, he fulfilled the law in perfect obedience, becoming our high priest and king. Also, he fulfilled the law through love, both love for the Father and love for those that he came to save. Save. <clears throat> Romans 13, eight through 10 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. When Christ came, he was sent because of God's love for us. John 3:16, we all know that it says for God so loved the world that he sent his son. And he sent Jesus out of love. And when Jesus came, Jesus was obedient to the cross because of his love for the Father and his love for those who would be saved through his death on the cross. And again, it is love that Christ in, uh, directs us to love one another as he has loved us. I don't know how weighty that is to you when you hear that, to love others as we have been loved. How have we been loved? God had loved us by allowing his son to be killed in our place, to take the punishment that we deserve for sins that we willfully commit against him. Sins that were placed upon his son when he was on the cross. Sin that was punished in Jesus' flesh so that for those who would believe upon him, they would receive forgiveness. That's the type of love that we have been loved with. Our love for others should mirror, should reflect a sacrificial, a giving love. The same type of love that we have been loved with. Now, we cannot go to a cross and die for someone else necessarily. Uh, I'm not gonna be able to go to a cross to die for anyone's sins. Uh, scripture talks about very rarely someone may be brave enough to die in another's place. But that role was reserved specifically for Jesus. But I, I think the concept of a sacrificial love, a love that is a, an unselfish love for others is what we've been called to. So with that is our, our background for the golden rule, a selfless love that whatever we wish that is done to us, we would do also for others. We'll look at the second piece of our scripture this evening, verses 13 and 14. And I, I wanna be honest, when, when I was originally reading through this and, I'm in, and you try to kind of make sure that as you're going through scripture, you understand um, as you move from, maybe one topic to another as you move through Scripture. Sometimes things aren't always immediately evident to you as you're reading them. 
how do these two things connect? Sometimes in Scripture we have little headers that are placed in between and, and ideas are broken out. But as, as I got to read this and study this more, I got to thinking about this narrow gate. And I got to thinking about the warnings that Christ had given. And I hope that you'll see as we, as we talk about this, this next little piece, you can see how the two fit together directly. And it's because of love that Christ has given this warning. And it's because of that warning that he's given us for those of us who have found that gate that we should be calling out all the more to others to come, to hear, to follow Christ. So let's reread uh, verses 13 and 14. Again, it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that lead to life, and those who find it are few. So Christ is the only way of salvation. There is no other way. Scripture talks about Jesus being, in other places, talks about Jesus being a gate in a sheep pen. And that there are those who try to climb over the sides to find ways in, but they're not the shepherd. Jesus is the only way of salvation. In John 14, 16, it says, no man comes to the Father except through me. We have to realize this. We have to teach this. We have to preach this. There are many other ways in the world where people are trying to direct people to find peace or to find uh, oneness with the world or to, or to find a, a path or a way to God or a path or way to heaven. Those are all false. Scripture is clear. Jesus is clear. There is but one way, and it is through him. It is through faith in him. It is through forgiveness that we have through Jesus Christ. It is not of works. Scripture tells us here that we're given this, this, this example of, of roads. There are two roads, only two roads. Notice it doesn't say that there are multiple options. You're either on the broad road that leads to death and destruction or you're on the narrow road that leads to life. I think a lot of people today feel that they're in that third option that doesn't exist. They feel like they know who Jesus is or they know about God and, um, you know, aunt and uncle, you know, took them to, to church when they were little and they think that they're okay with God. And if you, if you guys ever hear any interviews with people on the street um, on um, topics of religion, you'll hear them oftentimes say, yeah, I believe there's a God, you know, I, and, and, and when they ask, you know, well, you know, do you believe that you'll go to heaven when you die? Oh, yeah, I hope so. I don't know about you, but that's not a situation that I want to be in. I don't want to be in a situation where I'm saying, oh, I hope, you know, or, or maybe, you know. That's, when we're talking about your eternal destination, that's, that's not exactly the type of answer that, that you want to be giving. And I think it, when you're watching those, it, it is, it's, it's very frightening that people think that there are so many other ways to be forgiven, or maybe they don't even have to be forgiven. All they need to believe that is that there's a God. But on these two roads... The road to hell is described as a wide gate and a broad road that's easy to travel. And going along with this example, let's think about the uh, interstate system, right? Uh, back in uh, Roman times, the interstates would have been potentially as wide as our five-lane highways. 
they were built that way, basically with two lanes going either way to allow wheeled carts to be able to pass each other. And that's the example that, that, that Christ is giving here. He's, he's saying that it's wide and it's easy. And the warning there is, is not so much that, um, you know, when we, when we think about the easy path, sometimes we seek that easy path of resistance, or the easiest path, the least path of resistance. We want to go on that, that nice, easy way in life. Because when many think about Christianity, they think about faith, they start to think about those rules that we talked about. And they focus on the rules. And they focus on, well, I have to do this or I have to do that. And they're not thinking about the eternal destination. They're not thinking about the one who controls all things, and the one who has set the rules, being God. But that path to hell is easy, right? Is it, is it easier for us to go along with what other people are doing? Is it easier many times for us to, to, to just go with the flow with the world? I would say yes, in many cases. Many cases it is. It's easier for us to just kind of go along. Josh gave the example this morning during his sermon. He was talking about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, command to bow down to the golden, alt, uh, the, the golden statue that had been set up by Nebuchadnezzar. It would have been very easy for those guys to take the easy road, to take the wide road, and to bow a knee, you know, maybe saying, you know, what, what harm is going to come of it? No, nobody knows that we really think that this is nothing. We're just going to do it. But if they had done that, they would have dishonored God, and they would have disobeyed God. The road to life, however, is described as a small gate and a narrow road that few find. It's a, a road that maybe is not so different than the road that I live on, for those of you who may have been back to my house. It's a one-and-a-half-lane country road with no lines, and uh, you have to kind of know the road as you're going back through there. And I think if you compare that to I-65, we would say there's a vast difference, right? Uh, one, one of the uh, commentaries that I read said that this, this narrow way could have also potentially uh, been a reference to an abandoned alley in one of the cities. And the Broadway would have been like uh, a road that connected two major cities. And this narrow way would have been like a secret entrance to the side of a city that you actually have to go up to and knock to be allowed in. And that walkway would have been no more than about Six foot across, which I found very interesting as I read that. That outstretched hands are approximately the distance of that narrow way. But that narrow way is Jesus. It is through Jesus. It is through faith and trust in Jesus and what he did for us on the cross that gives us forgiveness and a surety of home in heaven. So connecting the two. So we have, so, so whatever you wish to do to others, do also to them, and this, this, this is the law and the prophets. And then he talks about this, this narrow gate. And as we connect the two, that's where I think we go back to Christ as the high priest, Christ as prophet, priest, king, savior, Messiah. It is only through an understanding of what all Christ fulfilled that we can understand the narrow gate of Jesus Christ. We don't have to fulfill all of the law that was, that was put in place because Christ did. 
Our faith, our trust is 100% alone in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. His sacrificial death, his atoning death, his blood that he shed in our place is the thing that saves us. There can be no other way but faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I think once we understand what he's done for us, it's then that we understand how we should love others. And as we think about that narrow way, that's hard, that leads to life. We want to love others and instruct them about that narrow way. We ought to have a passion for telling others about this narrow way. Those who are on that broad road that leads to death, that leads to hell, we should have a passion and a love for them to tell them about Jesus Christ. We don't want this narrow door to remain secret because we refused to be obedient to love others. We want to be those who are calling out this way, Jesus Christ, this way, the only way. And in doing so, we know that God is faithful to save those who will put their faith in his son, Jesus. His word will not return void but we have to be loving and caring enough for those around us to call out for them to come to the narrow way. So in closing this evening, I hope that as we've studied, we've seen Christ was that fulfillment of the law. He fulfilled it through love, love for the Father, love through us and that he is the only way of salvation. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to be here in your house, Lord. We, we thank you for all that you do for us. Lord God, we pray that uh, you would help us, Lord, to truly seek to love others, and that you would help us to live out the golden rule in our life, Lord, and in doing so, that we would begin to love others in a way that would cause us to have conversations with them about putting their faith and trust in you, sharing our faith with them, Lord, and calling them to follow us through the narrow gate. We pray, Lord, that you would work in the hearts of those who we're speaking with, our friends, our loved ones, Lord. We pray that you would save them and you would help them find that narrow way through your son, Jesus Christ. We ask and pray all this in Christ's name, amen.